0: Bienvenidos, welcome, James. How you doing?
1: <laughs> Hola, uh, very good. Thank you so much for asking. Um, if only if Christine GZ listened to this podcast, she would be very disappointed that I has I haven't absorbed all of the Spanish that she constantly shouts at me when we talk um, on the phone to say hi. I'm good. How are you? To
0: be fair, she switches between like Spanish, Italian. English and 12 other languages in the space of what 14 words. Yeah, so it's very
1: confusing. You don't know if it's you positive don't know what or you're negative. Absorbing yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so true. i might done something wrong. Who knows? I'm just going to assume that I've done what something is incorrect. This uh, and if I don't get something thrown at me, then uh, things have gone well. Uh, look, good to be here. Thank you very much. Well, Mexico is exciting.
0: Great. Mexico is exciting, but you raise people doing things wrong. Wow. (laughs) And in that note, (laughs) on that note. I
1: edited a podcast that you did at 2 o'clock in the morning um, where you had your wits about you. What is it there at the moment? It's like, what, 8 p.m.?
0: Ten past eight. Ten past eight. Words do not exist at this time. (laughs) It's it's all or nothing, you know that. Like I can be on it at 3 a.m., but 3 o'clock in the afternoon, not a fucking chance. But you raised people doing things wrong Mm. and so on that note, Mm. campy.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Okay, so where to start? Like I said, I'm very tempted to do this whole episode um, without a hint of white teeth because I'm standing in solidarity with Danica um, who added more value than half of the presenters. More than
1: half of them most weekends
0: because of her experience and is just a great change up to everything and I really enjoy her. Go Danica Campy. Next thing that you've done wrong, Alonzo, oh, my gosh, as if he was at fault for that incident with Stroll, like not a chance. He absolutely, also because he absolutely moved first and so Stroll responded like it wasn't a, We was too close? Anyway, Just you're wrong. (laughs) What else was Campy wrong about?
1: I don't know. He kind of came good towards the the end of the episode, but he, uh, as Tommy T and I had had discussed yesterday, well after the event, he had a look on him when he came when he walked into the studio. He had a look on him that he that he wanted to f the place up. Um, so it took a little while to to ease him in. I know he's going to listen to this episode. Hi, Campy. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, but uh,
0: you probably can't hear us because his multiple beanie layers. So it's, uh, like-
1: the other thing, I look, give myself a penalty. For some reason, I, I said Danica Fitzpatrick, not just Danica Patrick. So I'm going to give myself a five second penalty for adding a uh, changing her last name unnecessarily. But I agree. I really and I said this on Monday. Um, Danica adds real value She's driven NASCAR and she's driven IndyCar around Coda Competitively and understands it I know as Tommy T said she does Like a bit of a lean in to ask A question.
0: She does but lean that's in because I reckon <laughs> it's
1: because her ears aren't working So it's a technical issue, it's not her uh, Then it, it's just not loud enough
0: It could also be the fact that she's half the size <laughs> Of the people that she's interviewing Yes, so true like, yep. like genuinely an issue So as someone who is often not even close to being the tallest person in the room, you, yep. you do find yourself kind of listening up <laughs> and having to get it a little bit kind of closer to whoever's speaking. So it's probably part of it as well. Like the you, not to mention the fact that no one can hear what's going on in the paddock or on the grid because you've got just things going on all over the place. So yeah, on on yeah. TV, especially because you have so much of that kind of noise edited out um, on TV, I can I can see Tommy's point. It does look a bit funny, especially when you watch it on repeat. But um, yeah. But as for the value that she adds, which is what she's actually there to do, um, she's no. she's great.
1: Stop it. What? Impossible. People adding value on Sky F1? I, that sounds like an oxymoron to me. It doesn't, doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, no, you're all. right. I'm
0: wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, yeah, uh, exactly that
1: right. Point. Look, there's actually been a whole stack of stuff that's happened in the last couple of days, which is unusual for a Freya's Friday free F1 <laughs> fun for all factual freelance. Function podcast, <laughs> podcast, bloody p. I mean, that uh, was heaps. what
0: it was. <laughs> Um, Yeah, exactly. For some reason this week it felt like people weren't just hoping to just hold content away until I did the podcast and then let it go, which seems to be what happens every other week. With that said, the cost gap breach agreement is coming out tomorrow. Of course it is. Um, So we might need to take that into account when it comes to our planning. But what is probably, as a lot of people have said, the worst kept secret um, in the paddock was the Sauber Audi deal which has finally kind of been formally announced yep. so if for anyone who who missed it Sauber will be the works team that partners with Audi um, and it has kind of been said that they spoke to McLaren and also Williams but um, obviously they announced earlier in the year that they're going to join as a power unit supplier um, in time with the new regulations which makes sense for them um, and those new regulations are really important I think to kind of talk about a little bit because they're by Audi coming in those new regulations are doing a little bit of or part of what they're intended to do whereby they're making it more feasible for new suppliers to enter Formula 1 and actually be competitive because if you end if you kind of come in mid regulation you've got a lot of catch up to do for teams that have already been practicing under those conditions for for several years it's not that feasible so um I think it, it makes sense for them and it kind of shows that it is helping to make it a more interesting or kind of appealing prospect um, for other people who are or other organisations who are not not in Formula 1. But as I said, it's kind of the worst, worst kept secret in, in the paddock, I think.
1: There's been heaps of worst kept secrets this year in Formula 1. I feel like which is <laughs> as soon as someone just makes a decision, they should just announce it, put a press release out and spare us all of the drama. It looks very exciting. Uh, I still am slightly annoyed that uh, Andretti doesn't have an entry yet. Uh, we know that they're building up to to try and get something. Um, of course, Porsche is the other outfit, part of the Volkswagen mm. auto group that uh, wants to try and get itself into Formula One. Of course, it uh, those talks with Red Bull broke down. Uh, and now, of course, with Dietrich no longer with us, it's very unlikely, I think, anyway, for that to... Uh, to progress any further. So it would be interesting to see Porsche and Andretti be an entry. Uh, there's still conversations going on that it could be as soon as 2024 for an entry onto the grid. So uh, who knows? Daniel Ricciardo could have an, an option there too. Um, but I want to see 11 teams. I want to see more cars. There, there's a whole bunch of pushback from existing teams. Existing teams just need to shut up and get on with it and let other, you know, <laughs> I'd rather have more manufacturers and less races because I think it's better for everyone.
0: Oh, I, I, I don't disagree in that at all in terms of um, more manufacturers, less races. I think when it comes to having more teams on the grid, as long as everyone's financially viable, then it's good for everybody. I think where it doesn't make sense and the cost cap should kind of help with this a little bit potentially um, in that if you've got teams that don't have are coming in, they want to make a new team or join another one, whatever it might be, and they don't have that financial stability and you get that kind of, you know, they're in for two years and then they're out, It's I don't think that adds value to the sport. Um, so I think if you've got new teams that are actually financially viable, and then of course, for you know tracks and setups and everything else to be safe with eleven or twelve teams, then then that's great. They're the two kind of considerations when it comes to more actual, you know, teams and therefore cars on on the grid. But obviously with all of this, the intent is for Saudi. For Saudi. I can't
1: you did it. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, I this is I the did- nickname for the Saudi and you've already done it by accident. <laughs> Outstanding content. That's the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>
0: I did that written so many times mm. that... Yeah, I I wrote it out so many times as as Saudi and then I, that was a genuine mistake. That's really funny. It's gonna <laughs> happen, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But the intention <laughs> the intention is for Audi to acquire a stake in, in Sauber as well, obviously. And the power unit will be made in Germany, which I think is to be expected. Um but it's actually the first time in over ten years that a power unit will actually be built there, built in Germany, which I've found was surprising um but and they've got a bunch of people already working there at facility obviously trying to increase that kind of headcount and the technical infrastructure that they're going to need in order to start building um, for Formula One power units, but what's hilarious as well is that you go, all right, so the rest of the car is going to get made in Switzerland but then your power unit's going to be made in Germany but actually they're only an hour away <laughs> because Europe. Um, so <laughs> it's actually not that <laughs> inconceivable um, when you have these uh, things kind of coming together. It's, it's not going to be that difficult from a logistical perspective. It'll also mean though that Alfa Romeo kind of end their title sponsorship at the end of next year. Um, so... <laughs> yeah.
1: Never heard. Well, of we them. couldn't
0: remember who their last driver, one of their last drivers were. So,
1: who? Look, Alfa Romeo. It, it was always to me such a half-assed entry into the sport because it's you know you can't. Anyway, it just it seems a bit ridiculous to me that it, that's all going on and the Ferraris going on, but it's not really a works team. They're just a major sponsor and. The Audi conversation was, has been going on about Salba for at least, uh, from what I have heard, of at least eighteen months. So, uh, the undermining of the Alfa Romeo uh, sort of branding alongside Salba has has been pretty significant. Anyway, I'm sure that comes to an end at the end of uh, next year. The um the the Alfa next Romeo year. deal yep. uh, deal with Salba. So, for 2024 and 25, there's two years where it'll go back to being Salba, but I imagine. Audi will start investing into the team f- to properly set itself up for the future. Well, so I think that's it where, be that.
0: yeah, that's what they've kind of said. They start buying stakes in. Sauber, and then Alpha come out of it. So that's how that will kind of transition um, into having the Audi power unit. Um, So they're going to start testing on that in 2025, they've said is their goal, um, testing the power unit um, for the 2026 um, introduction. The other thing is that you've got next year the um, cost cap for power unit manufacturers being introduced, which should also help a new a newcomer in the power right. unit world. So Indeed. hopefully that's a benefit to them. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting stuff. And it's it's one of those things that you kind of go, especially with like what happened with the Porsche and Red Bull stuff, it's great to see that that actually kind of manifesting and actually happening um, because I think what we see with all sorts of elements of for, Formula 1 is that nothing's done until it's done. And even then sometimes once it's done, it's not done. So I was glad <laughs> to see this actually get announced and they've, they've already shown that they've you know, increased their their headcount over in Germany and that type of thing to work on this. So it's exciting stuff. The other thing which could be exciting, depending on how they go about it, is the word on the street that Formula One are looking at a women's feeder series. So mm. this hasn't been kind of confirmed nor denied at this point that they're putting together their own female only feeder series to try and increase opportunities for women's single-seater racing. So as we know and spoke about last week, W series wasn't able to finish their season due to lack of funding. Rather than put themselves into debt to and finish the season, they just cut it short and they'll come back next year. But what we're kind of hearing is that F1 was already working on a new category of its own that would race in parallel with W Series. So it's not in the intent is not that it replaces it. Um, of course, it has raised some eyebrows as to why they wouldn't have supported W Series for the rest of this season. Um, and then we kind of, if you learn about this, then you kind of say, okay, well, maybe that gives us a bit of a an understanding as to why. The other kind of elements that come with that is that they've said that it's going to be setting the standard at Formula 4 level um, mm. with input coming from F2 and F3 teams. Um, but the majority of the funding is going to come from Liberty Media obviously being um, a Formula 1 um, category. But the intent is that other junior teams will be involved in promoting their, di- their their drivers through, the F- through to F3 in the future. And they're actually working to try and adapt the cars which is – the thing when I heard, I was like, "Oh wait, you you're wanting to look at Formula Four cars? Well, W Series is already using Formula Three cars, so why that like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me." But apparently, what they're actually trying to do is adapt the Formula Four cars um, to actually make those major changes to the chassis, which is ultimately built around um, men. So, actually, trying to make changes to the car and starting that in Formula Four cars before they work up with Formula Two, Three, and Two cars. Whether or not this all comes to light, I think there's a couple of things. One for me is that I just hope that if this is something that happens, <coughs> that they don't get caught up in some sort of like rights battle for women's single seater racing with W Series and then actually limiting the amount of open cedar um, racing that's available to to women, um, much like, you know, kind of seen. not that they were necessarily in competition for it, but, you know, electric vehicle, open series racing is very much under the, um, Formula E, you know, they've got, they're the only ones with the rights to that. So I'm hoping that that is not something that comes about here. And then you actually kind of cut off somebody else's arm in order to you know create your own series. So that's something that worries, that worries me. Um, And the other thing is that I kind of go, if you're under the F1, I'm not saying it's a bad thing necessarily. It's just kind of things that the cynical side of me saying, if this is under F1, do people just think that the goal is to try and get a woman in F1, which I think as we've spoken about on multiple occasions is a very kind of narrow perspective on women's racing as opposed to trying to get more women into racing, having lots of opportunities to race, trying to remove the financial barriers, um, having somewhere to go so that when if you're if you karting as a kid, you actually have options rather than saying, okay, well, that was fun while it lasted um, and actually investing in women's motorsport rather mm. than just kind of saying we have this singular narrow goal of trying to get a, a woman in Formula One, um, which, you know, okay, and if it happens, then what? Have you just achieved that goal and tick the box and we don't have to do anything else anymore? Um, so, yeah, that's something that I worry about, that as, as long as it's under that kind of that Formula 1 banner, that that's something that comes with it. At, with that said, I think if it's done properly, great. We've got another open-seater, um, you know, racing option for, for girls who are coming out of their, their karting. And I think it's meant to be targeting quite young drivers as well, much like the kind of academies of, you know, Ferrari, Alpine, et cetera, um, where they're looking at like a 16 to 21-year-old kind of kind of group. But um, what were your thoughts when you heard about this as something that could be happening in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I mean, firstly, I still think it's an absolute shame that W Series has still not been able to find any funding to finish the last couple of races for this year. It's good that they made the decision to not go bankrupt effectively, you know, bankrupting themselves for next mm. year. So good business decision on their part. Shame that it had to be taken. Look, I've heard a couple of different points uh, and views on this in in all kinds of directions. Uh, I've heard why start your own without supporting W Series. Surely it would be better to support W Series and maybe bring uh, W Series into the F1 fold rather than starting your own thing. I've also heard, uh, you know, W Series is never really going to, Offer a, a pathway to Formula One. If Junior Series is uh, supposed to be the thing, then um, starting a whole F4 campaign is better to have a pathway, inverted commas, to Formula One. But as you mm. said, it's it's bigger than just a pathway to Formula One. It is just you know greater representation across the board. So I think there is there is room for W Series still. There is room for for this. Again, I probably would have liked to have seen them work with W Series rather than um, potentially. And again, this is all conjecture at this point. And Nate Saunders at ESPN broke this um, uh, over the weekend, but uh, yeah, from from what I understand, I think it it's good that the discussions are going on. I am concerned, as you say, about F One wanting the the exclusive rights to Open Wheel. Uh, female racing uh, inverted commas. So that's you know. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But we know what Formula One management can be like when it comes to copyright and, and censoring. And certainly from a lot of other F one content creators, I know that they struggle often with uh, trying to use clips in their in their YouTube videos. As an example, let alone a whole racing series. Mm-hmm. So look, I yeah. think if it if it if it is done well, and I think if they involve the right people, then it should be a a good thing. And yes. Giving an opportunity for uh, young women who are in go-karts, you know, at the same age as guys, and I, and you know, spoiler alert, uh, under your chat with Hedda from Extreme E that is not out yet, but I'm halfway through editing, and I know in the first part she said that she was faster than her brother, so her brother quit racing and she kept going, and and <laughs> that's an opportunity. You know, where does she go from there? You know, it, it's it's hard enough getting um, sponsorship money at, at the moment for internal combustion as it is for rallycross and whatnot, so. You know, for if go-karts was her thing and then she saw an F4 feeder series and she's got an ability to, t- to aim for that. And hopefully that then if you get Prema and other teams like Arc Grand Prix involved as well, which they are involved with a whole stack of other st- stuff, including Veloce, then there are pathways and there's pathways to sponsorship, right? And then that will hopefully, not everyone, and that's the thing, not everyone goes F4, 3, 2, 1. Some go F4, 3, 2, mm. Formula E. Uh, IndyCar, Indy Lights, a whole stack of other things. So even if that's just a, a good opportunity for these young women to get the skills that they need in an environment that is um, promoting them as much as possible where there's not a concern around finance and budget and whether they're not going to be able to go racing or whatever else, then it gives them the ability to step up through the ranks or take their experience and go somewhere else, like Indy Lights, NASCAR, and like Danica has done in the past as well. So I think from the bigger picture, mm. it should be about motorsport as a whole, how you can be a you know how you can get more women involved in racing. Full stop. Rather than just we need a female in a Formula One car, which will be great to see, of course. But it should be done in the right way. It shouldn't be a token you know element to it. And starting at the basics, be brilliant at the basics, grassroots level. I think is a good way. But, again, W Series, there should still have, something should have happened, I think, to have kept those final races this year.
0: I completely agree. And I just don't think that, like, obviously we know it costs a lot to put these races on. I don't think anyone is underestimating that. But at the same time, you can't tell me that there aren't enough people around F1 or F1 themselves who could have supported that given that they knew what was going on. And they had been letting people know about it for weeks before they had to make that final call. So I wish that there was someone who had stepped in. I, it was actually it was a really hard part of the Austin kind of coverage because you had a lot of the W Series drivers who were there and obviously were meant to be racing that weekend yes, and they were all indeed. kind of, you know, yep. just hanging around. And it's really nice because they're going, oh, you know, we're reunited. And yeah, but we're all meant to be racing. Like that, mm-hmm. that's the thing these these women are all competitors and they're meant to be there racing. And it was actually a bit of a bittersweet kind of element of the, the content that we saw over the course of, of CODA coverage. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's an interesting one. And like you said, I was going to raise, um, header. It was cause it came up a couple of times in our conversation where just using the language of kind of saying, trying to make a career for myself in motorsport. And it's very clear that for her perspective and so many other, not to be fair, not just women, it's, it's, it's a financial, barrier um for Mm. guys as well to enter it's just that you've got the series which have the backing and there's just no options really for for girls there and um Mm. you know they're going off and becoming mechanics and engineers and everything else and just trying to find other ways of being involved in the sport that they love which means that you've probably got all these like engineers out there who could have been incredible drivers but had nowhere to go and just enjoyed Mm. being around cars and that type of thing who knows um, but yeah, I, oh, that was my favourite part of interviewing her. And she goes, and she was saying, yeah, I was competing against my brother, and then he quit because I started beating him. I can just imagine it. As somebody who has a brother, I can just imagine me like, oh yeah, no, I'm just not that into it anymore. Actually, like you know, oh, I'm just not really, not really enjoying it that that, that much anymore. Anyway. Like, oh, so actually, the weekend that you had your last race was the weekend that your s- little sister was faster than you? Huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's not a ego defence mechanism at all. That's fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Take that, his <Hedder's> brother.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. That was great. Other things that are going on, um, we've got doing, doing something in uh, the free practice one session. So Jack yeah, shut up, will be, obviously as we know, will be, because um, he's part of the Alpine Academy, um, taking a, a shot. In, this is his first time in a Formula 1 car um, this weekend. So he's currently sitting fourth in the Formula 2 championship. So he's got a couple of wins under his belt, three I think, um, and he's sitting nine points behind Logan Sargent. So like you said, first time in in this generation Formula 1 car. So it's good to see him out there. It's, it's He seems to be very grateful and appreciative of the opportunity, um, I think, as much as we sometimes feel like it's, sitting up with people with a lot of hopes and dreams that might not manifest, Um, it's cool for them to have the experience and and he seems to be really appreciative of it, that's for sure. And like you said, he's already got more drives than Oscar Piastri has in free practice sessions
1: never heard of him. Uh, yeah, look, I'm happy for Jack Doing He is doing things. Uh, he will be a great Formula One driver in, in, you know, two, three years time. He'd be a real shot to win the Formula Two championship next year, I would suggest. And considering his rise through Formula yeah. Three and, and into two, the, the end of last season, he jumped into a Formula Two car and performed incredibly well. So... I think a little bit more time for him is not a bad thing. And uh, certainly if that's the way that we're sort of uh, stacking up with more seats available in 2024 uh, and potentially other teams, if Andretti starts entering the picture, it's not a bad thing. So he can really get to grips with that. I think also remaining in the Alpine Academy is as much as we know that they have been useless with Fernando and with Oscar. Uh, and, in fact, that he's going to have – Jack's going to have more FP1 drives than Oscar Piastri, who is actually a Formula 1 driver for next year, is hilarious and uh, it's hilarious. definitely pin giving the middle finger the to Oscar. <laughs> yeah. By all accounts, though, Jack uh, in the 2019 Formula 1 car that they drove around Spa uh, – someone will fact check me on that. I'm not sure if it was Spa. Somewhere else. Anyway, Jack was faster than Oscar. So uh, it's let's not – you know, maybe question necessarily his pace. Oscar has got great racecraft, but Jack is can be quick when he's on it. So I'm excited for him to see that. Uh, it's good to for him to have some awareness. And we know what happened the last time a driver did an FP1 session for a team. <laughs> Something might happen for somewhere else, exactly. and they go, "Hey, man." Do you want to jump yep. in that car, this Aston Martin, because Lance Stroll's sick for this weekend and suddenly he signed for Williams instead of Logan Sargent because Logan doesn't finish um, in sixth above because Jack punts him off the track doesn't in Abu Dhabi and goes, ha-ha, yeah, my seat exactly. now. Um, and why wouldn't he? Uh, full Fast and Furious style. Uh, but oh, I'm excited for Jack. I think that's uh, that's good. But, uh, look, speaking of, of other random drivers, I'm just going to go to the next point because uh, IndyCar has and um I think it was Chip Ganassi uh, that apparently has signed the GOAT for, for next year if we're, uh, with uh, <laughs> Nick Latifi. They're not confirming anything yet. Mate, what do Watch you- it, I think obviously- Well, here's the thing, right? If, uh, I th- if Williams has come out and said, we have no other <laughs> option for 2023. Well, uh, let me tell you, you do. Because if uh, Logan Sargent doesn't get the super licence points, I can tell you that Gotifi will 1,000% stay in that seat for another 12 months whilst uh, old mate uh, gets the, his super licence points up and then maybe we'll see it come in. But I would suggest that's why everyone is just waiting. I think once, um, I mean, it's more likely than not, isn't it, that Logan Sargent's going to get his super licence points but, you know, save anything drastic happening. Once that is announced, then I'm sure Chip Ganassi will announce Latifi.
0: Yeah, but it's also not that drastic, like someone crashing in Abu Dhabi. Hmm. I think someone might have done that before. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I mean, it's a different uh, category. Are you suggesting that-,
1: that the goat's going to get into F two <laughs> yeah. suddenly? He's going to steal someone's car and punt Logan Sargent <laughs> off too. He's or got already got Jack doing to do that exact for
0: him. Scenario that I'm suggesting. I'm just saying that it's not out of the realm of possibility. But literally based on our previous <laughs> year, that somebody crashes out, he doesn't finish in the pace that he needs to, and doesn't get his super license points. Like that's not actually that unrealistic that there is a crash in Formula Two and that doesn't happen. Like. I think they would actually probably appeal if that's the situation, but I don't know. Um, It's I think I think you're right in that. I think I think there's a lot of things that are kind of all going to be announced, and it'll be a bit of a domino effect. If um, Logan Sargent gets his points, then that'll happen. Then Nikki will say I'm doing this, and then it'll all kind of fall into place. But Yeah. yeah, he was very kind of cannot confirm nor deny in the press conferences press conference today and was also kind of saying, you know, he he p- pulled a bit of a DR and kind of said, I'm not just going to take the next thing on offer um, because, you know, I need to, I'd, I'd happily take a year kind of setting the next thing up and making sure that's the right thing. I was like, yeah, except the difference is that you're not Daniel Ricardo, and currently you have the same <laughs> amount of points as somebody <laughs> who stepped in as a reserve at the last second. So
1: Leave you age.
0: probably will take the next thing that's on offer to be clear. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens there, but all I can say is watch out IndyCar. Other, just a couple of random points coming out from drivers. Seb got asked, because obviously he had a pretty great weekend last weekend, driver of the day I think last couple of weekends, you know, are you not tempted to just do one more year, just, just see what happens. And he just said, absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, it's great to have a bit of success towards the end of my final year and last week, last weekend in Austin was awesome, but I don't think so. And he made these interesting comments that he was trying to struggling to I think put the words to how he was feeling but just saying we have these real highs and we have these real lows and when we have highs we're asking questions like, are you going to do another year? And when we have the lows, it's do you have a contract for next year as opposed to just saying, you know, we're going to have weekends when we're up and down and sometimes the track's going to suit us and there's other things going on and I wish sometimes there was a little bit more stability to the sport because it's exhausting. And I think what he Mm. was potentially saying is that, we are judging too quickly on high and low performances when somebody doesn't have that that kind of consistency, which we know is important, but there is that very quick kind of extreme, quest, extreme level of questioning that happens when we see someone who's showing a bit of promise over a weekend or has had, um, you know, potentially an unusually Um, poor performance, for example, or even just a couple of weekends in a row, we start questioning their seat. Um, And just an interesting reflection from someone who's been in the sport for a while, but he answered that pretty quickly and had a bit of a laugh and said, yeah, no. (laughs) I think he's pretty clear that he's ready to to move on from Formula 1 and start working on some of his other goals to, you know, save the world.
1: Yeah, well, there is still a race to win, which is the hashtag he constantly uses. He's not talking about motorsport. I know the Extreme E guys really want him to come to Extreme E. Sorry, T, he's not talking about Extreme not Nico Rosberg, he's not talking about it. So, uh, yeah, but I think think you're right. I mean, and also now because F1 Twitter, and it's certainly a lot different to when he was winning World Championships, there are a lot more people who think they know more about Formula One than they do. And uh, there's a lot of loud voices, very critical, and there's a lot of toxicity in this sport now uh mm. such that i wasn't even seeing really in 2019 so a lot of a uh, lot of subject matter experts out there on certain things obviously we talk about formula one and sometimes we have a go of course uh, the only person who could drive a formula one car out of the four of us is campy um just ask him uh he knows full well all about it with the pressures and the highs and the lows of being a formula one driver um as our sme on everything uh, to do lakeside drive but uh yes uh, look, as you say, Mexico here is extended to 2025. Great racetrack. I, I quite like it. Um, so does Campy. Campy's not excited about this event because he's not excited about the end of Formula 1 for this year. It's gone on too long for him. I tend to agree a little bit, but um, I'm excited for this track mm. because higher altitude, Sergio Perez's home race, you know, is still on for a win here, and, and we can only imagine the uh, the visuals of uh, Daddy Checo uh, Daddy Perez uh, being so happy about that. Um, in fact, the world would all smile in unison uh, based on his imagery for for that result.
0: Oh, for sure. I was going to ask you at the end of the podcast, what are you excited about when it comes to Mexico? And I'm going to answer my version Daddy of that Perez. now, which is Checo's <laughs> dad. <laughs> but it, no, you're right. I think, and it's it's, tri- it's tricky, right? Because I think we all like we love the sport, but you do get to this point in the season, we go, okay, well, championships decided okay, now Constructors is decided as well. Okay, can we all let Checo win this weekend? I know it's not going to happen. And actually, do you know what? Max got asked that question not so directly in um, the press conference or in the media pen this, this afternoon where they said, you know, if he's in the position too, would you basically let him win? And he had an awesome answer, which he goes, Checo is good enough to win by himself. Like, nice. I'm not Very going to good, let Max. him win. He'll And he just goes... And he just goes, Checo's good enough to win races by himself and he's already shown that, why are you asking me this question? Um, which I just <laughs> thought was a really cool answer as opposed to be. And as opposed great to answer. saying like, you know, yeah, exactly, as opposed to going, oh, cool, team orders and everything else. And he goes, he's an epic driver. So I thought that was a great response. Um, other kind of, I suppose, you know, talking about um, milestones, um, Leclerc's 100th race, which seems like a lot for me. I, I don't know what it is. It just kind of feels like he showed up. Last year, I know that's not true, but Mm. I mean, between this year and last year, it does feel like we've had 200 races. But at the same time, he's (laughs) just, he doesn't have that sense of longevity in the sport that you get from some some of the others who kind of came in at the same time. Um, hard to explain why necessarily. It's just a perception. Um, but he's going to have Checo breathing down his neck. He's only two points behind him for second in the championship. So that's something that could keep it a bit more interesting this weekend, I suppose. I know no one really cares about second and third, but at the same time, you know, they'll say, and they'll say that they don't, but of course they do. Um, so that's something that I suppose you're trying to find something to really hold your attention other than just hoping for a great race. That could be, that could be something, but, um, I don't know. Do you feel like Leclerc was born yesterday?
1: (laughs) No. I think the difference is he he only spent a year in a junior team and that's when Sauber was really getting results. You know, they were in the top seven from memory, Marcus Ericsson, who had struggled down the back with Sauber up until that point, had a – Pretty good year for for his results, and Charles Leclerc entered the entered the sport at the right time. And of course, he and Kimi did the switcheroo. Mm. And yes, Crofty, I can use the word switcheroo because it's an Australian thing. You can't just keep saying switcheroo and confusing <laughs> the international audience. Anyway, switcheroo with Kimi, uh, and and then he ended up in Ferrari, and Ferrari are a team at the front, and then trying to get as as much as possible out of the car. And because he's had contract extend, you know, for I think a five year contract or a six year contract, there's a heavy heavy amount of time, um, straight off the bat for him. So, you know, and he's won races and at the beginning of this year, he was challenging for the championship. So I think for, for that point of view, because he's still young, he is still young, you know, similar age to Lando and George and, yeah. and everyone else, but he's been in that top team for such a long time. You almost forget about how young he is uh it's same with max people forget how old max is he's only 24 years old he is not mm. an old boy two world championships under his belt he's been racing since he's about you know seven in formula one and as you said there's about 100 events each year so there's no wonder he's reached his 100 peak it, it's already happened like it's about well i mean on average it's been 20 races uh a year since he started so it's not you know not under the realm of Possibility for that to have occurred.
0: Maybe it's just because he looks like he's five instead of 25, which is actual age. Two who doesn't look like he's five anymore is Nando. Alonzo's protest still hasn't been resolved yet. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Alonzo's, I mean, he's behaving like it at times, but it's fine. Um... Alonso's protest still hasn't been resolved yet. So this is when it comes to getting the penalty due to the um, wing mirror uh, falling off and then in after the race being deemed um, uh, not safe. I think this is absolute crap <laughs> for so many reasons. Like if you actually lay out everything that went wrong in that scenario in terms of it not being addressed during the race, which is the whole point of of that flag is calling somebody in when their car is not safe to drive. So if you didn't call them in at the time, it's null. Like, and then it went through all of the FIA like checks afterwards and everything else. Mm. And then the protest came in after the deadline. So like, there is just nothing about this that should say that it stands. Like, I, just, I genuinely think there's like convince me otherwise. Um, anyone out there. <laughs> I just don't understand. I, I, what I do see is Haas's point in terms of going, wait a second, I feel like we've had 700 um, black and orange flags to go with our 800 races this year. And we want to see somebody else being called in for the same issues, which I completely understand. So to, I think it might've been Tommy's point last time, last in the last podcast, they're not actually looking for an outcome here. They want to go, wait a second, this always happens to us. But in terms of that issue and that protest not being resolved yet, um, I mean, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. Nothing was done in the way that it should have been if they had, in fact, decided that that car was unsafe.
1: Yeah, FIA stewards—they're the only two words that need to be said—and uh, it just ridiculous. I agree with all of that. Uh, Alonso should not have been given the penalty. Um, it's went through scrutineering and it passed. So, end end conversation as far as I'm yep. concerned. And Haas didn't want that necessarily to happen. As you say, they're putting it out. And it's like hang on a second, where are the double standards here?
0: But even even like Paul Deresta said this this afternoon where he goes, yeah you know, we have all of those technologies available to us, which are meant to help us create more efficient racing make decisions quickly um have safer racing all of his stuff, and a lot of it is not being used in the way in which it is necessarily intended or it's kind of being um, kind of taken advantage of in the fact that we can go back and review all of these things and you go it's all very well to have an appeal or a protest protest process that's fine but you know this is not What that rule, being the black and orange flag, is there to achieve. And if you don't call it out in the race and try and prevent uh, an issue as a result of a safety problem, well, then that is now void. Like, so I'm sorry, when you've got someone like that saying, you know, these are the rules, this is how it works. And even Stroll this afternoon said, "Uh, yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you know, it's. Um, I actually, I don't think, and to be fair, I haven't watched everything or read every article, but, um, I haven't really seen a lot of people kind of supporting that as an outcome in terms of, um, sustaining the penalty, except, except being empathetic with Haas when it comes to the fact that I do seem to have been subjected to it more than, more than others this year. Um, I mentioned briefly earlier, depending on what makes it into the podcast, that the cost cap breach, um, agreement will come out tomorrow. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I know James is bored of it and he's falling asleep so we'll move on but we'll learn about that tomorrow. Oh, great. Campy just showed up. Um,
1: and then the last
0: point here when it comes to news this week is Toto in Daniel Ricardo merch. So enchanté Toto. We can be matching in your long sleeve shirt and my hat. I'm leaving
1: the beginning into this episode because that was great. <laughs> Um because it's in, it's important content for the people to know. so you, we've brought it up again. Here it is. It's worth it. Go watch the video, go look at the photos. Is this a soft launch for the announcement of Daniel Ricardo as a reserve driver to Mercedes? Who cares? Toto's wearing cool stuff. get get around it, get around him. You know there's no targets on his back. it's peaches.
0: <laughs> it's peaches exactly. or lemons depending which way you actually put it. So just saying it's lemons on one side and then oranges on the other. It's fine. Anyway, um, (laughs) I don't know if the jump is reversible, but we'll see. Um, That's it for news of the week. Let's get stuck into everybody's favourite section of every podcast that we produce, James, and that is our profile of the week. So we are talking about Lucy Taylor. So Lucy Taylor is a trackside technologist for BP Castrol. We talked about um, Valeria Laredi when it comes to working in um, uh, Shell for fuel, all of that that stuff. Lucy is very interesting because she's actually used to work with her. So previous to BP Castrol, she worked for Shell as a fuel scientist um, as I mentioned, she used to work um, with Valeria Lerti, um, who we spoke about a few weeks ago, but go back and listen to that podcast um, and worked there as trackside analyst for Shell and Ferrari, but then had been with BP and worked with McLaren, is now with Alpine. So she's up to about her 14th season um, in Formula One, which is just incredible given that almost every role she's been in has been trackside support. Um, now we've obviously increased the number of races per season and that type of thing, but almost all of her roles, except for a couple of those early ones, uh, have been trackside. So she's been going to every single, just about every single race for at least 10 years. Um, and we hear about the toll that that takes on your life and everything else. So all I can say is that she must absolutely love what she does, um, But she said she wasn't an F1 fan necessarily um, growing up. She watched some WRC. um, But she just picked subjects that she liked when she kind of got to A-levels and that type of thing. And for her that was geology, geography and environmental sciences. Um, So she went and did her degree in environmental geology. So, so far in comparison to some of the other people we've talked about and roles that we've talked about, quite a different track to um, end up in in Formula 1. But after she finished her degree in environmental geology, um, she was living up not far from the Shell refinery in northwest England. So went and worked for Shell and did three weeks' work experience in a lab there. Then stayed with stayed in touch with um, her mentor during that time, um, who put her in touch with a guy called Murray Brown, who was the head of basically the kind of analytics. Um, I suppose, group within within Shell, and he gave her a summer job. She then moved to the elemental lab, um, which was a great start for getting involved with the type of work that happens trackside if you are interested in getting into motorsport. So she applied after that, so she's kind of done her three-weeks work experience. She went and did a summer job. Um, She then uh, got another job in the elemental lab, she finished that role, she's kind of all in agency kind of positions um, and started. she said she started applying for things like random things like the RAF because she goes, I just wanted to travel at that point. So I'd, I'd done my degree, um, I kind of had had some interesting work experience and stuff but I wanted to be in a job where I would get to travel. So RAF, great, that'll be awesome. Um, but Murray came back on the scene and encouraged her to apply for a you know, kind of suddenly open vacancy in the motorsport team. So well done, Muz, um, because she applied for that job, she got it and she ended up spending a bit of time with with Shell um, working in the motorsport team. Um, and I understand that that was, that was part of supporting Ferrari during that time as well. She then moved to Hamburg, which is then where she met um, Valeria and now we're actually working on diesel development. But that time away... Said, oh, actually, I really miss F one, um, and I love motorsport, and and that's how I want to be applying applying my skills, and that's when BP approached her um, for a role that was available, and she moved there. Just something here, which I think is interesting, is that in a lot of the people who we talk about, you know, there's this um, presence of mentorship, um, or somebody who kind of who knows you or has seen what you're capable of. Um, and kind of just navigating you in the right direction for something that they think um, you might you might either enjoy, but actually be really effective in, which I thought I think is really cool. So when we talk about people looking to get involved in men- in motorsport, finding a mentor, even if you can't find a you know job straight away sounds like it could be one of those really important things, which I'm sure doesn't go for motorsport. It goes for all, for all sorts of things. But it's just one of those kind of themes that keep coming up as we, as we talk about people walking in Formula One.
1: And one of the things that, I mean, I can say from personal experience in that same vein is that when you contact people and say, hey, this is what I think I want to do in motorsport professionally, what do you think? And, you know, is there any certain way that you would do stuff or is there someone that I should talk to? There has never been anyone who has said no there has never been any sense of competition or guarding territory. Now, I'm sure that does happen with some people in the paddock, but I think you probably know who they are already and you don't bother approaching them. Uh, but for, for that experience, for, for her and for me, and indeed for you as well, Freya, I know when you uh, talk to some as well, sometimes it's difficult to get in touch with them all the time because of how busy they are with their schedules and whatnot. But when they do have the time to talk to you, it's encouraging. And, uh, and when people say, oh, you know, I really wish I could do this, well, getting in touch with someone, sending them a DM on Instagram or you know, connecting with them on LinkedIn or whatever else, sending them an email if they've got a personal website and you just reach out to them, more often than not, they'll come back and offer us some advice. So it's, it's not an uncommon thing, as you said, and it's one of the things about motorsport that I found that seems to be pretty unique in that respect that people are always happy to help no matter who you are, no matter what you want to do. And so it's encouraging to see Lucy's had that experience as well.
0: Well, I think it's just one of those industries where a lot of them will have had potentially either not a straightforward time or potentially even a difficult time trying to get into the sport. So if they see someone and that is someone who's, you know, reaching out trying to find contacts trying to make it work and understand what the options are and everything else there is probably some sort of you know seeing a bit of themselves in that person in terms of saying I wanted that too um and if you've got that drive about you well then you know I'll, I'll help that person because I think it's you know again another thing that we we already knew but obviously these kind of profiles and stuff just bring it to life a lot is that yeah it's it's just a difficult place to enter if you don't have, you know, if you're not coming from motorsport blood, um, it can be really difficult. And I think especially if you, you know, if you're, if especially now Lucy, for example, if she meets other people, I'm sure she is somebody who will go and help them out because she didn't have a foot in the door either, you know, Mm. um, she's worked really, really hard to to get to to where she is and she talks a lot about, as does Valeria, the, the work ethic when it comes to, you know, what are the critical skills required to work in motorsport? And she was like, hard work. <laughs> hmm. And if you, you know, so I think there's <laughs> potentially an element of kind of seeing themselves in other people who are willing to do that. But speaking yeah. about hard work, let's just talk about what an F1 weekend looks like for somebody who is a trackside technologist for BP Castrol. Now I think, again, as I mentioned, um, if you go back and listen to the profile with Valeria Loretti and how her role helps to um, create these kind of you know different fuel compounds and everything else and get them to the track, that's when Lucy's role kind of comes into play. So she's kind of the end user in a lot of ways. Um, so those two would be counterparts if they were working within the same organisation. But basically when it comes to um, a race weekend coming up, they would ship the fuel ahead, kind of weeks ahead of time to make sure that that gets there um, and that there is enough there and all that type of thing because, you know, we're going to all sorts of corners of the world and the logistical Mm. issues can be challenging, um, especially when it comes to um, sending fuel (laughs) as opposed to anything else. Um, So they send that, they ship that, you know, weeks ahead of, of time but before the race, um, again, we often think about race weekends being kind of, you know, Friday to Sunday, maybe Thursday to Sunday. She arrives in location on a Monday. Um, she gets to work on Tuesday. So her first job is to set up the lab and then check that all the testing instruments are working. So now when it comes to that lab, depending on where they are, she's got a couple. So they, if they're in Europe and they're in kind of one of their home races, so to speak, um, the lab is actually in one of the trucks so they have these massive engineering trucks that sit inside the paddocks and she's like it's great in there. it's basically like a full lab you know it's air conditioned and it's nice and you've got lots of space but when we're in away races so for example Mexico, Brazil, Austin, all these ones that we've got recently it's basically a wardrobe on wheels <laughs> um and it'll be out the back of the, back out of the, in the back of the garage somewhere next to the engineering in, in engine guys because they work so closely together. But I was actually loving how they're kind of describing these things um, where you've got Valeria kind of saying, oh, yeah, you know, F1 Fuel is like a tailored dress and she's there going, yeah, my lab is like a wardrobe on wheels. Like um, I love how they describe these things.
1: Very good themes there.
0: To people like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she gets there and she'll set up her lab. Um, they can look quite different depending on where they are located, where the race is. But they'll start with the fuel and the fuel drums, and they're tested for quality control. Um, so making sure that there hasn't been any contamination. They'll all go, go through rigorous testing. They kind of flush them out, test them again, blah 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 blah, um, approve that, and then kind of release them to Alpine basically. And they'll go into the the cooling rigs, um, and they'll be ready for free practice on on the Thursday. So that's the first thing they get started with. They'll also be doing a lot of um, quality assurance work when it comes to other fluids, so engine oil, gear oil, hydraulic fluid um, and dielectric fluid as well for the MGUK, which is something that I learned about in this process. Never thought that was (laughs) something I was going to say on a podcast.
1: (laughs) You did well to pronounce that, to be honest. I read that word and went, ooh, (laughs) glad that's not me.
0: (laughs) Let's be clear, I started this speaking another language, which I don't speak, so hey. Mm, um, good point. But once they get, very good. <laughs> once they get thank you, um, a rare compliment from James, once they get the <laughs> fuel sorted <laughs> and they've been doing that QA on the other fluids, once they enter an actual race weekend, so we start going into kind of Saturday mornings basically, it becomes much more about the engine oil analysis. They'll do anywhere between 40 to 50 um, tests and analysis over oil um, over the course of the weekend, less for fuel. um, But if you thought that was a (laughs) a tongue tie, um, the machine that they use to test the engine oil is an RDE, which is called a Rotating Disc Electrode Optical Emissions Spectroscopy. So what is <laughs> known as an RDE.
1: Right. It tests the I oil, imagine the James. E is the last, that, <laughs> that was all one word, right? The E is it's hyphenated or it all one word? Reading the RDE should be like Emission RDE spectroscopy. something else. <laughs> wow, unbelievable. Uh, no, no, so a, not, that's what they, the refer more to you it, know. they refer
0: to it as. Oh. The more, you know, and it looks like a little microwave, a um, bit bigger than a microwave, but basically what this is doing is if you've got metals in oil, light wave lengths of different metals will show up when they burn the fuel at like 5,000 degrees. So they burn the fuel at like tiny little, you know, two two mils of um of oil go into the RDE. They burn it at like 5,000 degrees. That only takes 30 seconds. And what it will show is metal content in the oil. So she was kind of describing that basically it's normal for bits of metal to get into the oil, but what they're testing for is 15 particular different types of metal, each of which will correspond with different components in the car. So perhaps the gearbox or the engine. So ultimately they're they kind of checking on the health of those different parts and you know they'll do that a few times. They do everything in duplicates. But depending on the results of those, they'll go to the engineers and say, we found this in, in the oil. And then they will let them know if they need to, they will then decide if they have to go and actually do something about that basically, because that might indicate a problem with the gearbox or a problem with the power unit or whatever it might be. So they'll go and decide if they actually need to go and like you know, completely change something out or replace a small part or just make an adjustment in terms of how something is is working. But what was really interesting as well when she was talking about this, her role is that she feels like that that job is getting more important, more important because everything has to last longer now. Um, and so making sure that parts are kind of healthy, I suppose, um, and getting the right protection from the fluids that they're using Is becoming more and more essential. So, you know, it's always been important but their role now in terms of maintaining the overall health of the car is becoming um, even more important just because of how long everything has to last.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you can imagine what would happen if the failure was found to be an issue with the lubricant. Uh, or something in any of the fluids that are going in and out of the car from BP slash Castrol slash a sponsor of the team. like <laughs> you, you She would have to be so focused all the time. Like there would be such an amount of pressure on her to ensure that's not the case because it, something could very easily find itself into uh, one of those drums or anything else, one of those containers as they move around the world. So, yeah, it's incredibly uh, well, stressful. that's it.
0: The, the travel has a the, the travel has a big impact on it as well because she's kind of describing, you know, if you think about a, a nice lab setup, everything stays in one place. It's not being put into shipping mm. containers and then put into, you know, wardrobe labs and then big labs and then, you know, and being used every single weekend. You'd be changing parts in and out and that type of thing. So making sure yeah, making sure that everything's actually working and there's not that contamination happening is really, really important. And, of course, you know, there's one outcome with some of this stuff, which is that a car doesn't work in the way that you think it's going to. But another another kind of potential outcome is that the FIA comes around and is checking to see that the fuel, you know, is what they say it is and then they actually say, mm, actually, no, that that's illegal. So that's another thing that they're doing when it comes to testing the fuel. So for fuel, they use a GC, which is called a gas chromatography, um, and they're basically testing for contamination. So things like grease in the fuel um, that can make it illegal. So she said, you know, if you've got an engineer who's been playing around the car, blah, 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 they've got a bit of grease in their hands, that makes it into fuel that could actually compromise that entire drum and we have to put it into quarantine. So if you're bringing a new fuel to the race weekend, so you know they're trying to obviously constantly optimise performance, they might bring a new blend, so to speak, um, to mm-hmm. a weekend. If there's any contamination between that one and the previous one, that could form a compound that is then illegal. So there's mm-hmm. multiple kind of outcomes of them not doing their testing and kind of checking job properly, part of which is that a car doesn't work in the way that it's meant to as well as it could. Another is that, um, you know, if they come around and test them on a Saturday, they have to start from the back of the grid on Sunday. If they test them on Sunday, they get disqualified. That's another kind of potential outcome if, if her role is not being conducted, um, you know, well. So... They also use other things though when it comes to infrared for things like leak detection. And, again, we talk about that. We we started this with talking about hard work. She was saying, yeah, we usually work like 70 to 80 hours during a race weekend. And in between that I'm booking all of my own travel um, in the meantime and that type of thing. I have a little bit of support from from the travel team at at Alpine, but for the most part I will do a lot of that myself. Um, And she is the only one doing her job. So... This would be different for different teams, um, and she has one or two colleagues who sub in for some respite, um, but they might only take you know three or four races off her. And she said she has kind of said and emphasised, look, it is a the increase in races will be a big pull on everybody who is who is track side, and yep. It will be different for different providers. Um, so Shell have said that they actually send kind of three people basically to do her job, um, BP send her and then she's got a couple of other people who are kind of backups more than anything though. Um, but she said, you know, the, the outcome of next year's race and we come back to the conversation that I had with Campy a couple of weeks ago is that th- those backup people will now have to do more races. So, yeah, if you get to certain weekends, you're not getting Lucy Taylor, you're getting her her um understudy and they will have to do more next year as we get more races. So you get the B team.
1: One of the things though to look at it from a positive point of view, if you're interested in working in Formula One, now's a good time because there's plenty of people who will be hiring part-time staff, I imagine, <laughs> or contractors <laughs> or freelancers. So uh get your resumes in people. Start contacting them.
0: Quite specifically, uh as fuel technologists for BP. (laughs) Um,
1: Yes. All you have to know is what um, RDE stands for apparently.
0: Exactly. Um, but she does have obviously other people supporting her. She goes, look, I'm the one testing all of these products, but I'm not the one who made them, you know, so we have people back, Mm. um, at our base who are doing the oil blenders and they're actually coming up with different compounds and that type of thing. And she might look at the results, um, of an oil test, for example, and not be sure about what a compound is showing her Based on the amount of metal that's been found in a sample, um, and so she said, you know, you'll you'll pick up the phone and and call someone back there and kind of say, you know, what does this compound look like, or you know, it's like I don't I don't formulate the product myself. So again, you think about these different roles and how they interact. Well, we talked about Valeria kind of saying. I just keep my my phone on on race weekends and hope it doesn't ring. Well, it's Lucy who's calling you, saying <laughs> something is showing up in our fuel that shouldn't be there. Help me understand what what's going on. So it's just I'm, I'm absolutely loving learning about how all of these different roles um, work. Together and some of them are just you know they they seem to be it looks like they're responsible for this tiny little bit but it all um, links and is kind of interconnected so 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 much um, but then of course of that on top of that she's got the lo- logistical side of things which is shipping fuel around the world and oils and all of her her labs and that type of thing and because she's working the whole weekend she said you know they don't like the technical people to be sitting down you know, not being useful. So if you look closely some weekends um, at the Alpine pit board, she'll be out there holding um, the, the pit board for one of the drivers on a Sunday. So wow. she said, I just get given a random, you know, side jobs because they just want to utilise every minute of every person, which is, you know, standard when it's like, yeah, that's, not, that's not special to her team. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're not sitting, sitting around doing nothing once they've gone out to race, you know, hey, you can hold this pit board, thank you very much. Um, and then she said, you know, you get to Sunday night and we pack it all up in six hours. So, again, when everybody else gets to do their media and kind of go home, um, they're they're packing it all up and shipping it off to either to the next track or, or home or whatever it might be. And when she's not doing that, she's doing these little kind of short-form um, video content for for castrol which they're actually really great it's called lucy's inside line so go and check that out um like i said it's just these kind of short form video content about formula one so she'll go and ask kind of like four or five questions to different members of the team during race weekends um and they're actually really great you know it's, it's really light and that type of thing but she'll go and speak to their you know head of communications and say why is this your favorite track and you know what was difficult what do you love about f1 those type of things so so they're cool um, so somebody who I would just say just doesn't sit down for a, for a second, by the sound of things. And but another thing we always try and talk about um, is I suppose the kind of talking about women in um, in motorsport. And she has an interesting view on this, where she's gone. Look, it's it's been interesting for me because she said, I wasn't actively trying to get into motorsport. I was trying to turn my like you know environmental science degree um, into environmental geology degree. Sorry. I was trying to turn that into a job (laughs) and I not ended up here, but kind (laughs) of ended up here. Um, so she said, look, it it is different for me. Um, I kind of think about myself as an art student kind of saying, oh gosh, what's next. Um, but (laughs) you know, that, so she, she had a very different, um, very different experience. But once she got into those technical roles, she she did say, look, there were far, far fewer women when she started. Again, we're going back kind of 14 years into her first role um, involved in motorsport, but especially in those technical roles, we were starting to see people grow up in things like communications and and marketing and and media side of stuff. But, you know, the engineers, um, people involved with um, suppliers for things like fuel and, um, and software and the like, um, they just weren't there. So she was really encouraged to see that that has changed in her time and she had a great story where um, she, I'm to try and get this right, she had done an interview and Stephanie Travers, who basically does a very similar if not equivalent role for Petronas Mercedes, read that article Um, But before she was in that job, read the article and the interview that Lucy had done and said, I want her job and went and tried to get into the role of trackside field support. So it was just really interesting because she kind of said, look, I didn't even know, but I just went and did an interview with somebody and I inspired somebody who now Mm. does what I do. So, again, very similar um, to some other people who have profiled me saying you never know who you're – inspiring so if there's an opportunity to put yourself out there um dahlia said this for sure she's kind of saying you you just don't know who's listening to you and who you're inspiring so if there's a chance to go and talk about the work that you're doing kind of give people that representation there might just be one person who who you influence or inspire and that's absolutely what what happened to her and um stephanie's had had an incredible career Um, so great to to see her now, kind of you know, getting super involved, and a lot of this this kind of content and the information that we're um, able to share with you now um, is from uh, the Girls on Track UK webinar that was hosted. So again, we're here able to talk about her and her role and women in motorsport, thanks to an interview that a couple of interviews that she gave, in particular the one with Girls on Track UK, which was just phenomenal. She gave up so much time. Um, talk about, um, her role in all of those things and, and just seems like a really, really cool person. Um, and when it comes to, and this is why I chose her for this weekend, when it comes to one of the most, challenging, I say, what are the most challenging tracks for you? Um, Mexico was one of them. So because of the high altitude, the car just overheats, And so cooling the car becomes a massive challenge, but that keeps her job very interesting. So that's why we chose her for this weekend. Um, she did also say, hilariously, Saudi, not to be mistaken for Sauber and Audi, but Mm. Saudi Arabia um, for the first time was logistically super, super difficult. She's like trying to figure out... All of the stuff that we were shipping in to to Saudi was was a logistical challenge, but from a technical challenge, Mexico um, takes the takes the win. So we can all think about Lucy there at um, uh, in Mexico this weekend, trying to keep the car cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially when Fernando's doing mega stuff as he often does. Uh, in that Alpine, which will, uh, which hopefully he'll be able to get a good result in this weekend to undo all of the crap that happened from last weekend.
0: So, on that note, and that kind of is kind of what we're talking about for our profile for this week. But on that note. What are you excited about when it comes to Mexico this weekend, James? Uh,
1: I'll give Campy's answer first—the checkered flag—and uh, I'll, I'll give my answer, uh, which is just to see, just to see what uh, Checo can do. I would really love him to win again, as we said earlier on, because Checo's dad. That's it. That's the only thing. Uh, I really enjoy this track. So it'll be interesting to see who's on commentary for this weekend. Hopefully they've got a decent A team involved. But a lot of the content I've seen already, there's been a lot of tacos, there's been a lot of tequila, there's been a lot of very, yeah. very cool things going on. So it's certainly a track that I would love to visit and to do Austin and then Mexico shortly thereafter. If you if you're doing that as a doubleheader and you're a fan, then I am envious of that decision that you have taken. What about you, Freya? Um,
0: turn one may have I love that, like, kind of really long run into turn one, which causes a bit of chaos. And while I hope that we don't end up with a Carlos situation um, where somebody who has just absolutely nailed qualifying um, gets taken out immediately, but I do love the start of this race. I think it's one of the best um, best starts that we get Um over the course of the season, and it's it's an amazing country. It's amazing, I can only imagine. I've actually got two friends who are there um, at the moment, and they were just kind of saying the vibe is just out of control. You know, everyone's very festive. Um, there's so much going on, and yeah, I'd absolutely absolutely love to be doing it. But I'll be reviewing um, the Mexico Grand Prix on the Undercut podcast. So if you want to hear me chatting to somebody else that's not James, then go and listen to that uh, next week. And uh, I'll actually get to review a podcast and someone who's not you, three idiots.
1: Shout out to Timo. He's a lovely guy. I'm sure it'll be be great. You'll have a much nicer experience (laughs) with him than you will with with us. They will give you that.
0: I believe that to be true. (laughs) All right, then. I'll try and get Tommy on next time. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) Bye. Sorry, you just added a note there which was Toto in DR merch. Um, I'm sorry, what?
1: Cancel the rest of the podcast. This is the only thing that we're talking about now. Yes, have you not seen this photo? On Shantae merchandise Um, long sleeve T-shirt.
0: Excuse me. I'm not even kidding. uh, Like,
1: Legitimately not even kidding.
0: I've been at a networking event, so if we could just circle back to that later, we could park it for now, and then I can think about how we can pin that. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> it's okay, I just vomited oh, in my mouth too. My
1: brain. <laughs> <coughs> Why would you do such a thing? Um, if you, I, I'd already seen this this morning, but i I'd, I'd forgotten because. My brain is a sieve. Um, at the best of times, but uh, Hillary okay. on Discord literally has just posted this in F one in the F one gossip uh, feed. Uh, eyes and ears on the ground. Oh, there's a video from Paul. Oh, oh, I hadn't. I hadn't seen this. This is actually a video of Paul, who used to do a lot of the video content with VB. If we remember Paul. Um, Rip, I think is how you pronounce his last name, R O P. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And it's it's him and Toto getting into a Porsche 911 Porsche. Thank you, Campy. 911 Carrera convertible. And, um, yeah, Toto's wearing an Enchante crew jumper.
0: Oh, my God, it's amazing. Yeah. My internet is so freaking slow. I'm not even partially close to where you are right now.